Hey guys, this week's podcast is brought to you by the fastest growing and most active app for hunters, anglers, and outdoor enthusiasts. Of course, I'm talking about Go Wild. Thousands of people are joining weekly. So if you're tired of the hate on social media that hunters and outdoor enthusiasts experience at the hands of anti-hunters, tree huggers, and animal rights activists, then you need to join Go Wild. In addition to sharing your hunting and fishing experiences, Go Wild is a great place to share recipes, ask questions, and meet other awesome people that are passionate about the outdoors. Plus, Go Wild gives money back to conservation groups and organizations like Raise Them Outdoors, which is helping teach kids to hunt and fish. They do weekly big-time giveaways, including $500 coolers, $150 in fishing tackle, Vortex gear, hammocks, broadheads, fly rods, and tons of other great stuff. It's free, and it's available on both Android and iPhones. Check it out. It's Go Wild, and I want to invite you to be a part of this awesome and growing community. Good morning, good morning, sweet, beautiful Texas and beyond. Sean Mullins, beautiful wreck, kicking things off for us on the Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club and Hoff Power Polaris. Cable Smith here with you today. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being here. I'm so excited to be talking, hunting, fishing, the great outdoors, and all that implies with you fine folks today. Uh, thanks for making time for me. And man, it's a great time to be alive in the great outdoors. Turkey season is wrapping up. Uh, the crappie are still spawning. Catfish are coming to an end on their spawn. And uh, just everything is greening up. The smells, the sights, the sounds of spring are truly here. And uh, I tell you what, if you're not getting outdoors, you're doing it wrong. But anyway, we've got a great show lined up for you. And you know what to do. Pull up that stool a little closer to the campfire. Pour yourself another cup of coffee out of granddaddy's beat-up old Stanley Thermos because we are ready to rock and roll. Off the top, we're going to talk some spring catfishing with our old friend Greg Pavor of Pavor Outdoors. The longtime catfish guide will drop in, and we'll discuss catching, cleaning, and cooking Mr. Whiskers with Greg here in just a little bit. Uh, certainly looking forward to that. Then uh, we'll spend a couple segments with our Texas Parks and Wildlife State mammologist, Jonah Evans. Uh, kind of created a social media firestorm by posting the reality of Black Panther claims on our social media outlets a couple weeks back. And, and by that I mean Black Panthers don't exist. And I'm sorry if that offends you, but they do not exist in North America. So, if you think you've seen a Black Panther and by God, there are a lot of folks out there, hunters too. And why not? Because uh, hunters spend more time outdoors than anyone else. So that only makes sense, but they don't exist. They have never been documented in the history of North America as far as a black mountain lion is concerned. So people don't want to hear it from me. Well, maybe they'll listen to a trained professional a biologist who has studied this phenomenon and can break it down for us because he's not only got a handle 
on mountain lions and possible optical illusions, shadow effects that could be coming into play here, but also jaguars and jaguarundis. Are they even in Texas anymore? Because there's a lot of folks that swear they see those too. Uh, but, you know, the last documented jaguar was back in the 1950s. A jaguarundi has been, I think it was in the 80s. I don't know. Jonah has all that information. So uh, I'm looking forward to dispelling some myths here today. And uh, then at the bottom of the hour, a very special treat for me personally anyway, uh, my wife will join us to discuss a, a recent tumultuous part of our relationship that totally stems from hunting, or at least a byproduct of hunting in our lives. And uh, if you want to really test your marriage, you guys try to buy and sell a house in four weeks because uh, what we thought was going to be a fun process turned into oh, just an unpleasant experience all the way around. Uh, we're on the other side, uh, all better now. And uh, I think some of y'all will find it humorous anyway as to why we needed to move in the first place. Uh, so that is what's on the docket for today. It's going to be a good one. A couple other things to mention here. It was great meeting so many of y'all out at the NRA National Convention or meeting in Dallas this past week. Literally, I think close to 100,000 people showed up at the K. Bailey Hutchinson Convention Center. Uh, I was out there all three days and ran into quite a few of you. Uh, so for those of y'all that said hi, it was great talking a little hunting and shaking hands, putting a face with uh, an Instagram handle uh, in a lot of cases. But anyway, certainly enjoyed visiting with each and every one of you. Uh, and man, I think it's an indie next year. I might actually have to go to that. Truly was a great show celebrating the Second Amendment and the firearms industry as a whole. Uh, lots of good Americans out there, that's for sure. Uh, let's see what else here. Oh, yeah. Uh, send in your photo submission for our May slash June contest. We're offering up a pair of Costa sunglasses or maybe a Vortex rifle scope. I don't know. I haven't asked either one of them yet, but uh, they've never said no. So maybe I'll email me. Which one do you want? Should we do Vortex or Costa? We'll, uh, we'll do whichever you prefer. Uh, also, I've got a prize pack here today. And this one is from Lone Star Beer. I've got a Lone Star Beer red and black checkered pearl snap shirt. with The Lo Lone Star Beer logo, the whole nine yards, plus a case of Lone Star Beer. I'll send it. And here's the deal. You have to be 21. Not sending any minors any beer. Uh, but uh, if you're 21 and you want to enter, email the word Lone Star to Lone Star Outdoors Show at gmail.com. How easy is that? We'll get you entered into this week's drawing. Congrats to Bobby Duncan of Atlanta, Georgia. He won last week's prize pack giveaway, uh, which I think he's the first person, I think he's probably the first out-of-state winner we've had since we uh, started doing the giveaways with the new format to allow all of the podcast listeners a chance to enter as well. So congrats to him uh, all the way from the Peach State. Is it the Peach State? Yeah, Georgia's known for their peaches. Uh, but anyway, we do need to take a quick break when we come back, we're going catfish fishing with our old buddy Greg Pavor. You're listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. For I am not insane. It may have what killed Elvis, and you can call me king. Do you have a hog problem at your ranch or deer lease? We have the solution: the System Hog Trap. 
Comes in two sizes, 17-foot and 30-foot diameter traps. After you trap the hogs, take the top section off the trap and use it for another feeder site to keep the hogs away from the feeder. The system is both a trap and a deer food plot fence. That way you don't waste your money on just a hog trap. Call 940-391-3669 or visit www.goinfencing.com. That's goinfencing.com. Cable Smith here for Deerview Windows. As a whitetail hunter, nothing is more frustrating than poor visibility in a deer blind. It can flat ruin a hunt. At Deerview Window Company, they manufacture windows solely for the use in deer stand and deer blinds. All of their windows and doors can be custom made to fit your specific openings. Or you can select from standard sizes, from hinged windows to sliding windows and everything in between. Visit DeerviewWindows.com to determine which style window is best for your deer blind. Plus, you'll get a free quote. Deerview Windows, where visibility matters. Mud between my toes The first day of sun I cut me a cane pole Are y'all ready to talk a little catfishing today? That is Guthrie Kennard Catfish Fishing, which we're going to get into momentarily right here on the Lone Star Outdoors show. I'm your host, Cable Smith. Thank you so much for being here today. It is a treat, pleasure, and honor to be talking all things outdoors with you. Thanks for dropping by. Whether you are tuned in on the radio or via the podcast, I'm just glad to have you. Coming up in just a second, our longtime friend, Greg Pavor, who Greg and I met back Some of y'all have probably heard this before, but Greg and I met at an academy in Louisville, Texas, looking at teal decoys back when I was a senior in college and he was a senior in high school. And we became fast friends and have been hunting and fishing together ever since. He now has a successful guide and outfitting service, a wildlife management as well, based out of Seymour, Texas. And he'll join us to talk some catfishing here in just a second. But first... This segment of the show brought to you by Dallas Safari Club, the worldwide leader in big game conservation. I'd like to invite you to get plugged in with this great group of like-minded folks who are passionate about conservation, hunter's rights, and education. For more information, check us out at biggame.org. Well, uh, let's go ahead and talk Mr. Whiskers with our old buddy Greg Pavor, who joins us now for a segment I'm calling Catch It, Clean It, Cook it. <laughs> Greg, thanks for being here, man. Yeah, yeah. Always good talking with you, Cable. Yeah, I was a little jealous. Uh, this past week, you did something that I love doing, and it, it kind of takes me back to my childhood. My uh, my grandparents lived in Houston, and so we would vacation in Galveston um, frequently, you know, as kids. And I remember uh, one night, my dad, he disappeared to the grocery store and came back with a bunch of chicken necks and a crabbing net. <laughs> and then my brother and I, we went uh, on our first blue crabbing adventure off of some pier. I don't remember the name of the pier, but I know it's yeah. still there. Um, and uh, and last summer, I took my kids on their first, uh, well, my son anyway, on his first little uh, mini crabbing adventure. Uh, oh, but, that's great. But it's good eating, and it's uh, it's fun, and, and you have opportunity to catch a lot of crabs, <laughs> which... You know, sometimes fishing, the fish aren't biting, uh, but my experience is the crabs, they wind up in that net one way or the other. Oh, man, you know, I didn't even take any fishing poles with me last weekend. I just, I was 100% crabs. Yeah. And I'm, uh, oh, yeah, like I say, they're just phenomenal. They're just so sweet, you know, with the meat. Mm-hmm. I'm uh, going out there, it's relaxing, sitting on docks, and, 
and pulling crab lines. I'm uh, mm-hmm. Might That's might drink right. a beer or two these days while you're doing it, but uh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pass the time if there yeah. are actions going on. <laughs> uh, so and so it's it's real simple for anyone that hasn't done it. I mean, it's a great way to introduce kids. You know, that first time you take them to the beach, something entertaining oh, yeah. for them, uh, and you end up with a uh, a nice bounty of fresh seafood. And these are obviously blue crabs. Now, do you? Yep. We've always taken a piece of string and like tied the the chicken neck to the the crab pot, essentially the net. Is that what you did as well? Well, I didn't have any nets, um, uh, but I know what you're talking about. I actually just tie on a, a piece of chicken, uh, chicken legs, and throw it out there on the bottom. And then once you see that line move, um, I throw out a whole bunch of lines. You know, I could have five or ten lines, and, and then I have a long net, and I'm, uh, you pull it in real slowly. And then when that crab gets to the top of the water, you scoop them up with the net. So the, you just have a piece of chicken tied to a line? Yes, sir. Huh. Mm-hmm. Okay. Interesting. Yep. You I've never done it like bottom. that. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. So you yep, see the line move, and you know there's a crab eating on that chicken. Messing with it. Yep. Yeah. Uh huh. Okay. Yeah, so it's really inexpensive. I mean, literally, I went down there at Walmart, bought six dollars worth of drumsticks, and then two dollars of fishing line, and I'm uh in a net, and you're you're in business crabbing for underneath ten dollars. Awesome. Fill up a cooler full of crabs. Yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah, well, and yeah. those crab pots, those nets, it's a basically, you know, you've got a circular, the ones that I've used is just like a circular yep. net, and mm-hmm. you tie the chicken to it, and uh, and then you just kind of check it periodically. You don't, you don't know if there's crabs in there or not, but exactly. generally, if you let it soak for 30 minutes, you're going to have three or four in there. Um, but yeah, that, and, yeah, and those are a little more expensive, but still you're in for only maybe 20 bucks, so definitely a, yep. affordable. Now... I saw you. Uh, you were cooking them. You took a couple pictures of you throwing them in the boiler. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. You gotta cook them alive. Best thing I like crabbing all day, and then that evening, you know, get the pot going and uh, have your crab bowl. Mm-hmm. Right. From a affordability standpoint and the return on your investment, there's not a there's not a better way to get delicious seafood, in my opinion. No, so fresh and it's fun too and relaxing and. Anyway, saw you posting that on Instagram, and I was a little jealous. Yeah. But I'm going down to Galveston uh, first weekend of June with the family, so hopefully I'll cool. have some pictures to send you. But heck yeah! But what I want to talk about today is is catfishing. You've been, I mean, you guys have been hammering them. Um, your clients look like they've taken a lot of flays home recently. So <laughs> yeah, I want to yeah, I'm, uh, I want to do this segment: catch them, clean them, cook them. So right now, tell us. Uh, exactly how you guys are catching, you know, good numbers of channel cats, uh, probably blue cats as well. Uh, what what bait you're using, what depth you're finding them at. Obviously, want to know about your tackle as well. Well, I've been uh, using uh, mainly uh, fresh shad, uh, cut shad, mm-hmm. and um, right now the water temperatures in the upper 60s. The blue cats are coming to an end on their spawn. Um, about a quarter of the fish I'm cleaning now have eggs left in them. Um, so the spawn is coming to an end here in a few weeks. And in case I'm in real shallow water, you know, as shallow as a foot, uh, you know, been really targeting one to five foot of water, mm-hmm. uh, especially where the wind blows on points. Wind blown, wind blown points are real good. And, uh, that's where all the bait is getting pushed up. Yep. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, bait's getting pushed up there. You know, windy days are good days. You know, 
a lot of people like bluebird days and no wind, and that's that's actually the worst days. <laughs> you know, gotta gotta have some wind. And out here, um, uh, the wind hadn't stopped blowing so this spring. Yeah, but it's been good. I'm uh, like I say, when you get those windy days, it gets the fish all stirred up in the bait and um, get you some shad. I use circle hooks and um, use a Santee Cooper rig, and uh, you can you can go about any lake right now um and and catch fish it's just a really good time of year to 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 catch fish right now what pound test are you using greg well i use a 80 pound main line with about a 50 pound leader um in case i get hung up you break that leader off and um use heavy line because those blues especially this time of year you never know what you're gonna hook into yeah Hmm? well and you know we've been friends a long time and we always give each other crap because you love uh, catfish and, and crappie and you know for my money i'd rather go catch a big bass and <laughs> yeah, you you call them on you, you call them green trash fish and you're always <laughs> i know you're joking because they are game fish and you can't use them for cut bait but you're like man that would make yep. some good cut bait oh <laughs> uh, yeah boy if you could use some bass or crappie for bait you would load up the cooler with catfish but yeah unfortunately yeah. it is illegal <laughs> but yeah. you saw that picture of that monster bass i caught and uh, you sent yeah. me a text. You're like, "Hey, that's a silly little fish." You know, I mean. Uh, but when I caught <laughs> him, man, I, you're spawning, I know, thought it was a bass fishing. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I thought it was a catfish the way it started stripping drag, uh, and which I was like, "Dang it, a catfish!" You'd have been like, "Awesome, a catfish!" Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I got a few more likes, you know, for the big catfish. Yeah. Uh, instead, of, instead of big bass. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, well, so. You know, I still love to eat catfish. I love to catch them uh, as well and have gone on trips with you over the years. Um, I think a lot of people kind of get intimidated because they can cut you. So just walk us through, and it, I know it's hard to do without a visual aid, but what's the best way to clean a catfish? Well, um, there's several ways, but I really like, you know, fillets. You know, you can, um, uh, you know, cut the head off and then, and gut them in the tail and, and, and chop them up, leave them on the bone, fry them up or cook them up that way. But I really like, you know, the fresh fillets, boneless. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't use electric knife, but a lot of people do. I'll just get a straight blade knife, a real sharp knife. And um, right behind the gill, the gill plate, um, right underneath the dorsal fin where it starts, you kind of um, start cutting down to hit the spine. And then um, you cut towards the tail. And then I don't skin the catfish with uh, pliers or anything. Once I have that fillet off the fish, I'll use my knife and cut the meat right off the skin. Um, and so it's skinless and boneless. Um, so you flip the skin over, it's laying on the surface of whatever, you know, the surface you're using. And mm-hmm. then you just run the knife back under it. Yes, sir. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it needs to be real sharp uh, because if you don't have a sharp knife, it'll be hard to separate the, the fish um the meat from the skin. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What is the truth about the catfish fins uh, cutting you? Because I have a, a buddy who's a striper guide on Texoma, uh, Jacob Orr of Limitless Outdoor Adventures, and he dropped a catfish on his foot last summer, and that fin went through his, he was wearing Crocs, and it went through there and got all kinds of infected. So is there actually a poison in there, or is it just a nasty bacteria? Uh, it is a poison in uh the 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 smaller they are, the the sharper they are, and the worse they are. Once you get about you know three, four, five pounds and up, they get real dull on the ends. 
But you get those 12-inchers, 5-inchers, you know, the real small ones. They're super sharp, and they can go through stuff like you're saying. Um, and it's going to sting. It's going to sting bad. But it uh, sounds like maybe in his situation something was left in his foot or to get infected. Yeah. Um, uh, or maybe it was um, uh, yeah, something there uh, went went wrong. Um, but, you know, actually, I've been stung a lot of times. I still do this today. Um, an old man growing up um, told me uh, I got stung one time at the lake, and um, he said, rub the belly of that catfish on that area, and it takes away the sting. And um, uh, I still do it today, and it actually <laughs> does work. Um, uh, if you get stung by or get a uh, catfish bent in you, uh, rub that belly on that uh, spot, and it does help. It really honestly does. It's weird. But, I mean, it sounds um, just like a bunch mm-hmm. of hogwash, but... Uh... <laughs> I know. It. <laughs> well, it's going to sting so bad that you're going to try anything, let me tell you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Remember that one. <laughs> Soap and water is not going to do it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Rub that nasty yeah. catfish on it. Yeah. <laughs> the belly. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> awesome. Uh-huh. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. And so once you've got oh, a good uh, pile of fillets, Greg, I mean, everybody knows fried catfish is, is southern as it gets. I mean... We all love mm-hmm. fried catfish, and it's pretty hard to screw that up. So, give us a recipe a little more uh, outside of the box that uh, that you you know you cook regularly, and and you love to cook for your clients too. When you're you, you've got a lodge there in Seymour, they come in town. You a lot of times do a hog hunt and catfish or crappie trip as well. So uh, you bet. Mm-hmm. Once you bring them back um, there, how are you cooking this catfish for them? Well, there's several different ways. Like I say, it's hard to go wrong with fried catfish, but, um, uh, you know, as much as you and I like to eat fish and, and wild game, you just can't eat fried food every week. Um, uh, Not if you want to look as good so. as we do. <laughs> you got you got you need to hit the gym a little bit more let me tell you <laughs> but no um, uh, um, star beer and fried catfish man every meal <laughs> <laughs> yeah your wife might um uh might not like it here oh, after you should a while. be like get your ass to the gym boy <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah she might make sure that i'm uh membership's on renewal every year yeah i'm uh but um a good way to uh to cook catfish just get your fillet out uh make sure you know all the bones are gone get you whatever skillet you like to do stir fry or something get you a good skillet and um i like to use a little bit of coconut oil adds a little sweet flavor to the to the catfish uh-huh. so put some coconut oil in the pan not a lot you know you're not frying so you're like it, you know? uh greg for those who don't know greg's all into this organic stuff so and, eating, and he does eat pretty healthy. So <laughs> coconut oil is actually good. I mean, it's better for you than just, say, you know, vegetable oil or canola oil. Or oh, oil. gosh, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, coconut oil is a lot better for you. And it actually adds a good flavor to uh, to um, to what you're cooking. It really does. Mm-hmm. Um, so put a little coconut oil in the, in the skillet and then put your catfish fillet on top of that. And then what I like to do is sprinkle some uh, Tony's or good Creole that you have. And then put some dill um, and squeeze you some lemon on it. That right there. And then I make up like a cilantro rice. Serve that catfish over over that rice and uh, squeeze some lemon. It's it's pretty good. Nice. Hmm? Well, cool, yeah. man. Well, Greg, I always love talking to you, buddy. Yeah, yeah. It's always good to hear from you. And I uh, hope to start seeing some pictures of some big catfish crappie. I'm uh, here coming up. Well, cool. Well, Greg, if you want to give us uh, your contact info, Folks want to book a hog hunt, duck hunt, crappie, catfish. You're a uh, jack of all trades, that's for sure. 
You're like a Swiss yeah, Army right. knife of the of the outdoor industry. <laughs> <laughs> well, got to make a living, Cable. You know, I do full time. I'm uh, you know doing a lot of fishing trips right now, and uh, got some hog hunters coming in. But uh, oh, and you guys had a hell of a turkey season, also. <laughs> yeah, we we killed a lot of turkeys, man. Yeah, yeah. I'm uh, just one afternoon. I'm uh, killed seven big toms in I think about two and a half hours. Where do those guys come down from? Uh, they came down from Tennessee. Um, it was it was a good spring. No doubt about it, brother. Well, hey, Greg, I appreciate it as always, man. Uh, cell service is starting to go there, but we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, good talking with you, Cable. Let's get out and I'm, uh, do something here soon. All right, there he goes, our good friend Greg Pavor, longtime buddy. And uh, if you're interested in booking a hunting or fishing trip with Greg, you can find him at poutdoors.com or follow Pavor Outdoors on Facebook, Instagram. Call him at 940-206-6375. Uh, that segment of the presentation, by the way, brought to you by Overstocks and Bargains, your deep discounted ammo dealer. What they did, <laughs> Gander Mountain went out of business. They went around and bought up all their ammunition. And now they're selling it to you and I at deeply slashed prices. And you can find their entire ammo selection at overstocksandbargains.com. Well, coming up next, we check in with Texas Parks and Wildlife Chief Mammologist Jonah Evans. Is that elusive Black Panther really out there? We discuss next on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. And if I had a boat, I'd go out on the ocean. And if I had a pony. Hey guys, Cable here, and I need to tell you about the Go Wild app. If you've experienced any kind of hatred, on social media from anti-hunters, from tree huggers, and the like, then check out the growing Go Wild community. It's free. It's available for both iPhones and Android. It's a great place to trade hunting and fishing stories, recipes, and share some of those bragging board moments of your outdoor successes. Check it out. It's the Go Wild app, available for both iPhones and Androids. Howdy folks, I'm Lee Hoffpair for Hoffpair's Outdoor Superstore in Gulfway, Texas. I hope you're enjoying the Lone Star Outdoor Show. We've been a title sponsor for a number of years now, and we're proud to be a part of it. I'd also like to thank you for making Hoffpair's once again the number one Polaris dealer in Texas. Please keep buying your Polaris products from us. Send us your friends, your neighbors, all your hunting buddies, and I promise we'll keep giving the best deals on a brand new Polaris in all of Texas. Whether you're looking for a Polaris for work or play, whether you need a regular Ranger or maybe a Ranger Crew, an RZR, they've got an all-new Ace that you need to come test drive. We've also got four-wheelers from a youth model all the way up to the all-new Sportsman 1000. For your Polaris headquarters, Hoff Powers Outdoor Superstore in Gulfway, Texas is who you need to see all or get on the web in contact today. You can check us out at hpolaris.com. That's H is in Hoff Power, polaris.com. Or you can come see us at Highway 84 West in Gulfway, Texas. And folks, Hoff Powers has been in Central Texas for over 50 years now, and we couldn't have stuck around this long if we were steering you wrong. Hey, y'all, Cable here for Three Curl Outfitters. And whether you want to bow hunt hogs or get after them with thermal imaging and night vision, under the cover of darkness, Three Curl has you covered. They've got the latest and greatest thermal imaging and night vision technology. They hunt unlimited, I mean, just thousands upon thousands of acres of ag fields. Or if you're a bow hunter and you want to sit in a stand and wait for the hog to come to you, uh, they can do that as well. Check it out, threecurl.com to book your next hog hunt. I hear the crackle of a campfire You're howling at the moon We all know that you gotta go But does it have to be so soon? Bet somebody's yelling last call 
That's the latest from the Turnpike Troubadours. Pay no rent, bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoors show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. Thanks to Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris, our longtime presenting sponsors. I'm your host, Cable Smith. It's great to be here riding shotgun with you today as we are all set to get into a topic that is extremely controversial for one reason or another. I personally don't get it because when it comes to wildlife, I generally, well, let's just say 100% of the time, I go with science instead of emotions or pipe dreams or wild goose chases, which are all things that I typically associate with anti-hunters, tree huggers, you know, animal rights activists who want to believe what they believe uh, and tend to use emotions to try to make decisions in the wildlife management arena. Uh, But this topic we're about to get into is one that really fires up a lot of hunters as well. Even though science says, hey, this doesn't exist, there are a lot of hunters out there who will tell you, stone-faced, that yes, it does. And I just don't get that. And some of y'all may, uh, maybe you've seen a black panther, which obviously is uh, what I'm alluding to here. But I figured, hey, if y'all don't want to listen to me, uh, then maybe you'll listen to a trained wildlife biologist who actually does this for a living. And we're going to speak with Texas Parks and Wildlife Uh, Chief Memologist Jonah Evans here momentarily on a myriad of topics, including, of course, the elusive Black Panther. But first, this segment is brought to you by Lone Star Beer, who, come to think of it, may be responsible for the majority of Black Panther sightings. Lone Star Beer, the national beer of Texas. Okay, now, I do want to preface this by saying, I'm not calling you a liar if you believe that you've seen a Black Panther. I believe that you believe that that's actually what you think you saw. I'm just here to dispel that myth and have a professional join the show and explain some other factors that might help you understand what you really saw. And we're going to actually ease into the topic. I think we'll probably hit on uh, coyotes and bobcats before we do that. And maybe even discuss jaggerundies and ringtail cats, among other things here in just a little bit. But without further ado... It's my pleasure to welcome Jonah Evans back to the show. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me back. We were talking off the air trying to remember. I know we've uh, visited before. I just can't remember what we talked about. Um, but uh, it's probably been a couple years anyway. Yeah, it's been a few years. And I, it's, it's foggy for me as well. But yeah. I, I, I think it was something about mammals in Texas. <laughs> I'm sure. But anyway, it's great to visit with you again. Um want to talk primarily about predators and varmints today. And I want to start with coyotes. And you might not have hard numbers on a lot of this stuff, so but I imagine through your position um, as our state mammologist, you can at least give us an idea of or, mm-hmm. you know your take on what's going on. Is our coyote population increasing, holding steady, or decreasing? Would you say? Yes. Yeah, so that is uh, one of those things we do not have numbers on. So uh-huh. uh, the the way that most states are able to collect. Uh, population numbers for fur-bearing animals or for predators is through harvest reporting. And so what they do is they they require people, if they kill an animal, to report it back in so that the state can kind of get a handle on the amount of uh, harvest that's Mm -hmm. happening and then make inferences about the population. In Texas, we we don't uh, currently do that, which means that if we were to 
in, in order to get some kind of population. What a pain in the ass that would be. Well, think about all the coyotes that get shot in Texas. I mean, oh yeah, no, it's, exactly. It'd be a, it'd be a, there's a, there's a reason that we don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, the flip side is, if we want to get those numbers, it would require very expensive uh, research projects where we're doing, you know, population studies, and that's that kind of stuff is extremely expensive and takes a really long time. And and for an area the size of Texas, it, um, it's just not feasible to yeah. do that for for animals that aren't uh, species of concern in some way. And coyotes, uh, they're, they're I guess they're a species of concern for other reasons, but they're not they're not um, rare or threatened or something like that. Oh my gosh! You know, in yeah. nearly ten years of doing this, I've never had someone come up to me and say. Man, we just don't have any coyotes on our deer lease. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, have you read or are you familiar with Dan Flory's book, Coyote America? I'm not, no. Okay. Well, basically, uh, he's he's a Western historian, essentially, and okay. he has this book, Coyote America. We've had him on the show. Um, and he basically talks about how if we trap, hunt, basically if we kill coyotes, we as a byproduct of that, are actually increasing their population because they're so resilient. Now, like I said, he's a historian, not a biologist, and I just, you know, for me, it's a it's a nice read. It's also kind of, uh, I don't think it's reality. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I've, you know, I've seen it on enough ranches where they trap religiously and have a, a very strict predator control program, and they're not void of coyotes. But they dang sure have control, you know, have a handle on that situation. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, so I guess my thoughts on that are that th- there is some. There, okay, so there there is a grain of truth to that statement uh-huh. um, that that if you trap coyotes in a in a just haphazard, uh, not very concentrated, just general way, what it can do is it can disrupt pack dynamics, and so no longer will you just have alpha. An alpha pair breeding, you'll now have all all kinds of animals breeding, and oftentimes they have bigger litter sizes, and you can and that can cause a a increase in numbers. The, however, you can keep the, so so that's just that's that's if you're doing haphazard, not a concentrated effort, and it's not really atta- attached to any kind of uh, immediate goal or outcome. If you have if you have a clear problem like like uh, in West Texas with a pronghorn reintroduction, uh, there was a problem occurring because the fawns were being, uh, we, I mean, we, we observed it happening. We had researchers out there. We knew that coyotes were eating these pronghorn fawns, and we'd reintroduce these pronghorns from the panhandle. So it was a big effort to to, to make, get this happening. Let's get some helicopters so, on them. Right. right. So we did, <laughs> I know you guys did. Very you know. he- we did very heavy, very short term, and this wasn't me. This was this would have been uh, Sean Gray, our pronghorn. Oh yeah. yeah, we've talked to Sean about this and are familiar yeah, yeah. with the aerial gunning. Right. So they did very intense, short term control during that window of time to clear the field so that the pronghorn fawns could get established. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's very different from a landowner who's just kind of have you know like if. If you needed, if you figure out what your problem is, and you have a targeted approach to to uh, being very strategic with it, then then that's the way to make it make it effective. If you're just kind of haphazardly shooting them here and there, or whatever, it can result in some kind of um, bump in the population just because of that disrupted pack structure and, right. and increased breeding and stuff like that. That's my understanding of it. Sure, sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, have you noticed? 
are seeing more reports lately of increased coyote human conflict as you know these these predators they're the most adaptable animals in north america mm-hmm. uh in my opinion and i see them more frequently in my neighborhood here in north texas than i ever mm-hmm. have before and and there's you know i'd say people send me more frequently than ever reports of coyotes attacking people whether it was a, a kid in in uh, upstate new york who was on a playground a couple weeks ago here comes a coyote just attacks them mm-hmm. um has that been something that you've noticed more of? I have not noticed that in in the last couple of years. I have I, I can't say that in the last you know year or two I've seen any sort of increase in coyote attacks on people, especially not in Texas. But uh, that said, that, that doesn't mean it's not happening. I've, I've just I haven't received those emails or or um. Well, there's gonna be yeah. You know, okay, so our population at humans we keep proliferating this earth. You know. Or just just North America in general, mm-hmm. and here's this coyote who's basically doing the same thing. He's proven he's you know as resilient as they come. Yeah. The interaction is going to only continue to increase because they've proven they've proven that they can live in urban environments quite easily. Right. No. No. And I think that that's that's true. So there's there's constantly interactions. There's constantly conflicts happening. Uh, whether or not are getting eaten pretty frequently. Yeah. Oh, I mean, and, and coyotes eat people's pets all the day long. I mean, house cats and little dogs and everything else. Uh, and but is there is there an increase in like the last couple of years? I just haven't. I'm not saying there isn't, but I just haven't received any any information that would lead me mm-hmm. to that conclusion. I mean, other other than talking to you today, and it sounds like you're seeing some 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 evidence of that, but I I haven't. Is it is it a natural? tendency for an animal over time over time here we've got these coyotes living thriving mm-hmm. breeding in these urban areas do you think that they will gradually lose their fear of humans i think that they do so the so yeah, I mean, that's, i guess that's of, where it, the conflict could come from is yeah, they, so they're no longer afraid of us in in the bear in the bear world they they frequently call it there's two different terms that they split out they call um one is food conditioned and the other is habituated. And so a bear, for example, can become conditioned to finding human food, but still be very afraid of people. So like the bear might know, oh, I go to these trash cans, I can get these bird feeders, deer feeders, whatever. And they, But a person walks out the back door of the house and the bear tucks tail and runs as fast as they can. Then you can also have a, a bear or a coyote that is habituated. And that means Right, they're walking along in the park, and there's people right around them, and they're coming up and begging for food, and they're not, they've lost their fear of humans, um, which is, and, and both of those are, are separate but uh, related problems about animals learning to, you know, interact and, and become and live close to close to humans. Um, so certainly, that's a that's a really big problem in in urban areas. There are some guidelines that have been created and some some rating systems i can't recall the, the the author's name of it for for rating how dangerous a coyote is based on some based on activity and you know one of the one one red flag is when you start seeing day active coyotes in urban areas um that are populated so you know if you it, there's coyotes in urban areas period they're there if they are skittish they're hiding they're only coming out in the middle of the night they're just acting like wild coyotes and mm-hmm. probably going to pick off some pets and some, you know, do some things like that, but they're not going to be a real threat to people. 
if you start seeing animals active during the day running down the street and, and, um, and stuff like that, that's when the real red flags come up that you might have some pro- real problems that could lead to uh, a bigger risk to people. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I've seen that here in McKinney, just middle of the day, you got to uh, just pick the kids up from school and there's a mangy looking son of a gun just walking around. He wasn't even like, I drove up right next to him. He wasn't scared of me at all. Yeah, no, that's not, that's, that's a, that's the kind of animal you might want to call yeah. animal control or somebody on because that's that's not a uh, that's not a good sign. Like, especially the mangy animals. Putting this animal down with my bow if I'm doing a service to the community. Oh uh, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah um, obviously illegal, yeah, so, but uh, it might have yeah, crossed I mean, my uh, mind. But the other thing is, you can call a game warden and they will come out and do that for you. Yeah. Um, yeah. If um if there's a sick looking animal, that, that that's what they just determined to be the best course of action. Like, well, so let's change things up, talk a little bit uh, about our feline predators. Much like coyotes, you know, we don't have to check in bobcats in Texas. People shoot them all the time, call them, trap them, whatever. And their hides are not worth much here in Texas mm-hmm. uh, or in, in the south in general. You know, from right. about once you get uh, south of Colorado, the, and I've talked to uh, furriers before, they won't even buy the pelts just because they're not right. thick enough. They can be the most beautiful spotted south Texas bobcat in the world, still not worth any money. Right. Um, so with all those so, things so, under you know consideration, do we have any data on bobcats? We, we have a little bit more data on bobcats than on coyotes, uh, but it only comes from people who keep their pelts. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to, if you're going to trap or hunt a bobcat and keep its pelt, you have to get a CITES tag on it. Um, and you can go to any law enforcement office to get one of those tags. Um, and and that's just to prevent. That's just to verify that it's a bobcat pelt, so that uh, if it's being brought, you know, internationally or across state lines, that uh, people know that it's not some endangered, similar-looking cat like an ocelot or something. Sure. Um, so, so we do have CITES tag data. The problem is those data are subject to uh, fluctuations based on fur prices and the interest in keeping bobcat pelts, and so uh, they're they're not of a whole lot of value. Uh, except to say that we know that there are bobcats being trapped uh, all over the state mm-hmm. in in pretty good numbers, and so we we're, we're confident that they're and, and I can say over time there that hasn't gone up or down in any sort of way that's that's um, shown some kind of big trend in one way or another. Um, so so again, yeah, we don't have we don't really have anything to say with confidence that the population is is going up or down or stable. But I, but you know, I think it's safe to say that based on anecdotal reports from all of our biologists and from the society data, we definitely don't have any any indication that their population is declining in any way. Sure. Okay. Well, and and I've noticed personally, just you know, once we got out of that drought about three years ago, you mm-hmm. have more rabbits, you have the quail coming back, and boom, it was like I started seeing whether it was on trail cameras or in person, a lot more bobcats than I had been. That would make sense, yeah. Um, Let's do this. Let's take a quick break. A lot more to get into. Of course, we're going to talk about the elusive Black Panther. So uh, are you cool to stick around? (laughs) Are you cool to stick around? Yeah, yeah. Excellent. And that segment, by the way, brought to you by the Pulsar Helium Monocular. We're talking 1,200 to 1,500 yard detection range with an internal recording device. You simply plug in your USB into the handheld and plug that into your computer, and you can get all of your footage 
right there. It's the clearest thermal monocular on the market. It's the Pulsar Helion, and you'll save 20% when you use my promo code LONESTAR when you check out at PulsarNV.com. Well, up next, is the Black Panther really out there or simply a figment of our imaginations? You're listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Cable here, and we all know that the North Texas weather plays for keeps. That's why you should call my childhood baseball buddy, Phil, with Tech City Roofing. Tech City is a one-stop shop for your roofing needs, offering a 10-year transferable warranty. They don't require money up front or a down payment. They deal directly with your insurance company. Tech City is insured and has an A-plus rating with the BBB. Call Phil Marler at 940-600-8221 for a free inspection, or email him at phil at techcityroofing.com. That's my lifelong bud, Phil with Tech City Roofing at 940-600-8221. In the market for a compact track loader, then check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best-built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at bobcatadvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at Bobcat of Dallas and Louisville, Fort Worth, Cedar Hill, Longview, and now McKinney. Visit BobcatOfDallas.com or call 469-586-0000. Hey, y'all. Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a -a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. I've got this friend, he's a lawyer in Dallas and his folks grow potatoes out Panhandle Way. He talks of bob wheels and playboys and turkey. Off come his wingtips and boots take their place. Base Run's the name of that one there from our good buddy Max Stalling, bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. Cable Smith here with you today. Thanks for dropping by. And, man, we are all set to get into one of the most controversial topics, I think, that's out there. And it's right there on par with Bigfoot, the Loch Ness Monster, Nelly, and then you've got the Black Panther. And, uh... And yes, biologically, there are black panthers out there, but they're not mountain lions, and they're not in North America. And so, if you don't believe me, that's okay. I've brought someone on here who is far more knowledgeable than I could ever hope to be on the topic, and we'll pick it back up with Jonah Evans here momentarily. But first, this segment of the show brought to you by First Light. Check out the new revamped Arrow Wool lineup, all of their merino wool Base layers, yep, they've been revamped for 2018. They were already the best out there. Now they're even better. You can find the entire layering system from the Aero Wool all the way up to the Extreme Temperature Sanctuary suit, which uh, I wore on my British Columbia Trapline trip. But you can find it all right there at firstlight.com. First Light, go farther, stay longer. Well, uh, let's go ahead and pick it back up with our Texas Parks and Wildlife State mammologist, Jonah Evans. We certainly appreciate you sticking around through the break. Absolutely. Let's start things off here with mountain lions. One of 
I think the coolest animals that we have here <laughs> in North America. As far as in our state, though, you see the occasional one get shot by a, a whitetail hunter. Here comes the lion mm-hmm. stalking the feeder, looking for a deer, and they get shot. And then some are just shot by chance encounter, and then obviously people hunt them with hounds out west. Um, would you say that our population of lions is on the rise or just kind of uh, holding steady like it has been? Um, so, uh, again, we don't have a whole lot of data, but there are there are some things we can draw from. There was do you a, have to check in a lot? If you shoot one in Texas, do you no, don't have to? Okay, it's no, just like a you don't have to, Yeah, you don't have to check them in or report them or, or anything. So, mm-hmm. um, so we don't really have any any standardized harvest reporting from are that. Are we the only line? state that you can just shoot a mountain lion and it's like whatever? We're the only state where there is a mountain lion population, like a functioning breeding population, where that's the case. Uh-huh. So so there are plenty of states that don't have mountain lion regulations, just like Texas does not have moose regulations. You know yeah, what I mean? Like, sure. the moose is in Texas and you shoot it, we don't have any rules. So I get that. Right. So, um, so the, but, but the problem is that mountain lions in, the, in some parts of the U.S. have moved, have begun moving into some states where they haven't had regulations, so they're kind of adapting. They're having to sort of get ahead of the curve. And they're moving. That. They're expanding east, right? <laughs> that's what, yeah, that's what I, I meant to say. So, yeah, they're expanding east in some parts of yeah. the United States. In Texas, the situation is a little bit more complicated. So the, what, what you described, where hunters opportunistically shoot a mountain lion here and there, that is that was really describing the common way people see and hunt mountain lions in south Texas. Uh, in west Texas, it's primarily trappers that are trapping mountain lions on big ranches that are you know that are paid by paid by managers or, or landowners to trap lions to help reduce impacts on the mule deer because a lot of those ranches uh, have have mule deer uh, hunting operations there and so they, they really want to protect their there. big bucks. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So um, so out in West Texas, there's there can be quite heavy trapping. There's um, you know the numbers that we have from volunteer or voluntary reporting is are pretty high. I mean, there's 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 a lot of mountain lions being trapped in some of those counties out west. Um, but the, as far as we can tell from genetic testing and from from the numbers that we have, the West Texas population has remained stable despite despite pretty uh, uh, heavy trapping effort out there. Mm-hmm. The South Texas population. Based on a genetic study by this guy, Joseph Holbrook, uh, who did his Ph.D. work looking at genetics of mountain lions, the, G- the South Texas population appears to be somewhat inbred and, and isolated, I guess, would be the, the simplest way to explain it. Mm. So they have some complex genetic terminology for it. But basically, the population is, is more and more genetically isolated and doesn't seem to be doing all that great. That, and so I think that's sort of the, the layman way of explaining the the, the of summarizing that um, that paper, but South Texas, I would say, as far as we can tell, not doing super good. Maybe declining uh-huh. uh, in South Texas. West Texas probably doing pretty good. Uh, rest of the state, I think we get we have random individuals that show up from here to here to there from time to time. Yeah, there was one and, hit. Uh, what was it? Mineral Wells. Uh... And that sounds right. And then then we've had we've had one. Um, I think it was in Jasper County and, and a couple more. Uh, we've had a couple on way over in East Texas on the border of Louisiana. Uh-huh. Um, in, in, the, in the last 10 years, I, I think we had three in East Texas pop up. So 
So they can they can turn up anywhere, and if, I would never, I wouldn't be shocked if somebody in any corner of the state came back and said, "Oh, I got a mountain lion, or we saw a mountain lion here." That's totally reasonable. But those those aren't really populations. Those yeah. are just you know probably juveniles going for their big walkabouts, which uh, they usually do at some point. Well, help us dispel another myth here, because much like wolves, uh, people, especially especially animal loving tree huggers. I always want to say, oh, no, wolves are great, mountain lions are great. All they do is help the population by killing the weak, mm-hmm. the old, the sick, um, which we both know is far from the truth. These are opportunistic animals. They see something that's in front of them, and they try to kill it. They don't care if it mm-hmm. has horns, if it's 200-inch deer, or if it's right. a 30-pound fawn. Right. So so I don't know, with mountain lions, I don't know that that they have any sort of preference for sick or unhealthy animals. I think they're very effective predators and they would probably take, like you said, uh, any animal that they can get their hands on, they're going to go for. Um, With wolves, I think it's a little bit different in some cases because they are, they're sometimes hunting animals in big herds, right? So they, there is a big pack of wolves chasing down a big giant herd of animals. And if there's a weak one that falls to the side or can't keep up, that one sometimes gets picked off, sure. but I agree with you that the data there are are kind of flimsy from what I've seen. It's mountain lions, on the other hand, they just sit and hide, and the next one that walks by, they jump on and eat. You know, right, right. They're, they're, they're not. I don't think. And they kill by crushing the jugular, correct? That's pretty common. Yeah, I, I, the ones most of the videos I've seen of mountain lions killing are doing it from underneath, right? Yeah. So they're, gra- they're they're grabbing the underside of the throat and and closing that. But, um, pipe, crushing you know, the windpipe. Yep. And I've seen there's some really interesting videos on YouTube for, uh, of mountain lions taking down different deer and different animals. And there's one of a mountain lion wrestling with a big mule deer buck for like 30 minutes or something. It was, uh, I don't, I actually can't remember. Who if it, I think it did take it down in the end. It, yeah. it took a long, <laughs> long time though. Yeah. And, well, so like but, I said, highly yeah, so effective I mean, killers. Highly effective. Um, I don't, yeah, and so my guess is they're probably not highly selective for for a weak animal or, or not. But again, I mean, uh, I, I'm I'm guessing based on my experience. Yeah. I'm not speaking from you know. Well, you're the uh, authority. Like, you're the uh, state entomologist. So. Doesn't doesn't mean I can't be wrong. So, <laughs> so well, if I, I agree I, with you, you're not wrong. So all right, that's all. That, we'll that, we'll that, roll that. with that. Um, right. Let's talk about this. This oh my, I don't even know how to say how just ridiculous this idea of a black mountain lion people call him a black panther and when they when they say that uh they're saying that they saw a black mountain lion and it's you know it's an urban legend that is mm-hmm. it, it's it's like bigfoot to me when i hear it i'm just like oh yeah it was uh was sasquatch right there with him you know right type deal um so, and here's, here's why i personally sorry. don't believe it is because in the history of north america We've never had any proof of one existing. Right. So, so mountain lions are not in the eastern two thirds of the country, more or less. Right. So, the, the the vast majority of mountain lions are in the Rocky Mountains in the western third of the continent. And historically, they were over the entire United States. And every mountain lion was either hunt or tra- hunted or trapped or killed or in, in some way for the eastern two thirds of the entire United States. And never once. Was there a black one? Now, I will say though that um, that I created a presentation that I give to people about this, where I put in 
there's a great optical illusion, and I, I, I'll try to describe it so listeners can imagine it, but essentially, the, I mean, I'm not sure if you've seen this, but there's a gray horizontal bar in the middle, and then it's surrounded by a gray background, but the gray background goes from light gray on the left to dark gray on the right, right? So the, the background fades from one color to the, uh, from light to dark, and in the middle, there's a solid gray bar that is all the same color, but it looks like it's the opposite of the background. Like your, your brain sees it as, as darker on one side and lighter on the other side. And it's really effective illusion. And, and, um, and the, the, the point, so I, I made an adaptation of that where I actually have a, a, a mountain lion on one side and a mountain lion on the other side. Mm-hmm. They're the exact same color, but based on the background, they look dramatically different. And so my, my guess is that there are situations where a mountain lion can truly look black. And I don't know if that's in the shadows or with bright sunlight and a light background or certain things or probably three or four people could sit there and all see the animal run by it together. And all four of them would say that was black and it looked black, but the reality is it wasn't black. Mm-hmm. And just like you said, there's, there's no black mountain lion. There's only large cats that have a black or a melanistic form would be an African leopard and a jaguar. And, um, and jaguars used to be in Texas, uh, but they are not anymore. That was a long time ago. Yeah. And, and, and with both of those species, the black forms are very rare. And I've, I've so, also read that the black form of the jaguar is actually not really even common. Even in Mexico, it's more South no, America. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. And, and even there, though, it's, not, it's, a, it's unusual. It's sure. not the norm to have, yeah, to have a black Like form. a black so, coyote, you know, it's, it, they're out there, but not, they're still yeah. pretty rare. Uh, right. So, so, um, so point is, I, I think it, we tend to get the vast majority of reports of black cats from East Texas. Um, I, I think it might be something about, you know, dense, uh, piney woods and the inability to see really far through that brush or something. In West Texas, we never get reports of black panthers, but those guys have mountain lions. They see them all the time, and it's it's a you know they're they live with them. And um, so yeah, I, I'd agree with you. Thank you for giving an opportunity to somewhat to try to dispel that myth. Yeah. Um, I, I do think. I mean, I, I've talked to very trustworthy, reliable people who claim to have seen what looks like a large black cat. Did you ask um, them how much whiskey they had that day? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I think I think it is a optical illusion. I think there's certain things with the light or something that happened. Uh, again, I mean, people have trapped and hunted and extensively with these populations, and there there is just no evidence that there's ever been a black one. Yeah, so. um, which is weird because, and I will say this. Uh, we have black or melanistic whitetail. We have melanistic coyotes. I've even seen a bobcat like that. Yep. So is, isn't it kind of an uh, abnormality that, that the lion just doesn't have that genetic makeup? Not Actually, not in the feline world. And within felines, uh, it would actually be – it's abnormal that, uh, to have a black – to have a species with a black form. Um, you know, I mean, there's, there's – a bunch of different types of wild cats in the world, and the only ones with the wild form, uh, uh, with the black jaguar form, are the jaguar and leopard. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, okay. What about because a lot of people, you know, I, so I put this out there on our social media outlets a couple of weeks ago, and you would not 
believe the firestorm that it created. <laughs> I mean, people were telling me that I was uh, basically insulting their intelligence, mm-hmm. and you would have thought that I dog cussed their mother. You know, it was mm-hmm. uh, it was insane to be honest with you. And I'm thinking, okay, well maybe these people are not really drunk, or it was an optical illusion. Um, what are the odds that it was an escaped jaguar? Because I don't know. It seems like if you had a pet jaguar or you had it in a a pen, yeah, you would have to have that registered. Or there must be some kind of registry to have that kind of animal. Yeah. And then um, if it got out, you guys would probably know about it. And then the other thing is, if you've been if if this cat has been captive its whole life, it doesn't know how to hunt and survive on its own. The first thing it's going to do is get seen by people. I'd imagine. Right. Um, yeah. So so when I have a, a particularly persistent caller calling about a black a black large cat that's ultimately you know what i what i end up telling him is if you're absolutely certain you saw a big large cat then you need to call the sheriff's department because this is something that escaped from a local sanctuary or a zoo or some pet that escaped illegally or whatever um and 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 you know i don't know if they pursue that or not but when was the last uh, time really one actually be... escaped and was was captured or put down i mean i never hear that i've never heard about that no i um yeah, I, I can't think of that happening in Texas. Um, <laughs> so again, uh, we're just so, we're just showing the odds of you actually seeing a big black cat, or just it, it's just the, not happening. Right, it's not happening. But I will say that that I'm really careful to try to not insult people's intelligence and to try to take them at face value. Sure. I I actually, when people say they saw a big black cat, I believe that that's what they think they saw, and and that it maybe it maybe the light or something was playing a trick on the eye. Um, or no, I or totally agree with you. Big black dog, and the big black dog yeah. looks like a cat, or something like that. I believe they, be- you know, they completely right. believe what they saw, and in their eyes, it, it looked like that. And right. it, you know, for whatever reason, it told their brain that's what they saw. But we're here right. to say, but, hey, at the yeah. end of the day, you know, your eyes let you down, or the yeah, right. You know. And and it's a good lesson though for us all because our eyes play tricks on us, and and the more I've you know, I've researched that, and the more I, when I was putting that presentation together about optical illusions, the more I began to realize how, um, you know, our sensory input devices are are pretty, you know, they're, they're they're pretty fallible, and they can they can give us information that's completely wrong sometimes, and um, and so yeah, I mean, just think about how many people have walked into a glass door, you know, your eyes told you there was nothing there, yeah. and you walked right into it, so. Yeah, there's there's um well, now that we lots have of examples of that. Dispelled the myth of the black panther once and for all. Sure. That being said, there are a couple other species I'm I'm interested in. I don't know how common jaguarundis are in Texas. Uh, I know historically they were here. But mm-hmm. Again, they're they're about the size of a bobcat. They do have the long tail. Yep. So or, or and actually I would say they're usually quite a bit smaller than a bobcat even. They're oh, really? more like Okay. Yeah, they're more like the size of a house cat. I mean, a 14-pound jaguarundi, I think, is a is a decent size one. Oh, okay. Um, the the I gotta last, be with you, I've never seen one at the zoo. I've never well, seen no, one anywhere. So I can guarantee that almost nobody in Texas ever has. Um, there, and very few zoos or anywhere any anybody have them. I've seen one in a in a zoo in like Peru or something. But huh. um, the last confirmed jaguarundi in Texas was a roadkill in Brownsville in 1986, and huh. And there, there was a a guy down there saw it on the side of the road, and he called he called the zoo or somebody, and they, they weren't interested. So he he brought it home and buried it in his backyard, and then a couple of weeks later mentioned it to a biologist who was really excited, and they went to his backyard and dug it up and 
you know, confirmed it from the bones. Uh, and, uh, but he had also taken video, you know, VHS video of it at the time. Hmm. And so we have, we have a confirmed record from 1986 and there, so there hasn't been one in over 30 years and no trail camera pictures, no nothing. Yeah. And so keep in mind that, that in Mexico, there's big trail, there's big, there's projects, researchers putting out lots of trail cameras to study wild cats there, like ocelots, and they get pictures of jaguarundis all the time, right? So you put up trail cameras in Mexico, bang, you're getting jaguarundi pictures. If you come across the border, we have ocelots in South Texas down there, mm-hmm. and there's lots of research going on with ocelots, yeah, trail cameras everywhere. Area. Oh, yeah, Laguna Atascosa mm-hmm. and other areas down there. Trail cameras everywhere down there. Never have they gotten a picture of a jaguarundi. Huh. Um, wow. And then, and then, same thing in like you know Big Bend National Park. Huge trail camera study going on there for years now with Sol Ross University. Uh, they're, they're, that's not even that's not even their habitat at all. But we get reports from there fairly often. Uh, never have they gotten a picture of anything that even resembled a jaguarundi. So, um, so another at this point, we're dispelling it again because we're I'm dispelling just, it. So yeah, I'm telling these people. Point, well, maybe you saw a jaguarundi. I'm thinking oh, they're 30 pounds. No, they're the yeah, size yeah. of a house cat, and they haven't been documented in Texas since 1986. So right, yeah. right. So um. So they are they are extremely um, it's extremely unlikely that one would turn up in Texas, huh. and and the idea and yeah you know, the idea that that would kind of explain the, the the prevalence of black panther sightings I don't think would really hold water. The other thing I would say is if I saw a jaguarundi run by, I would be so doubtful that I that I could determine one hundred percent it wasn't a black house cat yeah. that that I would be very skeptical of my own ability to identify it. Uh, <laughs> so they, the difference is they have very long tails, and they're, they have more of a weaselly-shaped head, right? Smaller ears, kind of an elongated face. But they, um, but otherwise, they can look a lot like a house cat. And, and they can appear and, you know, dark in color, though? Oh, yeah, they can be black. Okay. Um, yeah, so so I'm sorry. When I, when I said earlier about... You were talking about cats, big cats. Big cats, yeah. 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 Um, so... Um, so yeah, they can be black or reddish in color, and um, and and right, they're in they're in Mexico. I mean, just you know, a hundred miles from the border, uh, in some mountain ranges down there. And the interesting thing is, I was looking into this a while back, and I started wondering how many were, were there really in Texas? Because we all kind of have this idea, like, oh yeah, there, there used to be jaguarundis here, but there's not anymore. And I started looking back through the records. I can only find a, ty- a very small handful of records. And so I'm I'm not convinced that there necessarily was always a big population of jaguarundis in Texas. I think it could have always been that every now and then a few would wander over. There might have been a couple breeding pairs, but we really don't have, or at least I haven't seen any evidence to say that there was ever a big breeding population of jaguarundis in Texas. Hmm. Um, Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So so anyway, that's that, again that's another myth. I, I deal with that one. That went a lot. Uh, people call and report jaguarundis all the time from you know the big metropolitan urban centers in the state. If if one was to show up, it would almost certainly be down by Brownsville or along the Rio Grande somewhere like that. Okay, all right. Well, fascinating. Um, okay, the last thing that I want to talk on, uh, talk about real quick, and, and we are mm-hmm. running out of time, but is is the ringtail cat, which I don't mm-hmm. really think is a feline at all. Uh, yeah, that's right. It's a raccoon. Yeah. It's in the raccoon family. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, they're not that rare. People shoot them, call them mm-hmm. in, the predator hunters. Uh, a lot of times you encounter them if you're spotlighting, you know, in a tree mm-hmm. or whatever. So just talk a little bit about their habits and, and 
what, sure. what these animals are because a lot of people aren't familiar with them. Sure. So, so you're right. They're, they're not very rare, but they're highly evasive and extremely nocturnal. And so people can live in an area with ringtails and never know it. And, um, and you know, it's the times I've seen uh, ringtails like across the road. It's like when I'm flying in from some trip and I'm rolling into the house at 1 a.m. or something like some really late night trip. And, and then that's when I see them. They really are incredibly agile. They can run up trees and jump between branches like a squirrel, but in the middle of the night. And, um, and, and one time I was actually uh, sitting on the back porch of my, of my house and I was listening to a squirrel. Actually, I was inside. I think I was watching a movie or something. And I hear the squirrel chattering really loud, like an alarm call outside at 10 o'clock. And I'm thinking, why is a squirrel making a bunch of noise in the in the dark? That doesn't make sense. And so I went outside, and I had a I have a little thermal camera that I was scanning the trees with, mm-hmm. and um and I was scanning the trees, and and I and there was a ringtail up there chasing a squirrel through the trees in the dark, and um you know just they're they're they're, they're predators. They're really uh, cool animals. I mean, I think they're one of they're one of the neater animals that we have in the state. Uh, just because they're so secretive and, and shy and elusive. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, they'll, they'll eat, you know, any, anything they can get their hands on and um, probably probably won't turn down bird eggs or a bird nest. Are they omnivores? Time time. Will they eat, like, berries and stuff? They will, yeah, but okay. I think I think the majority, I think they are also probably more carnivorous than a raccoon, but um, uh-huh. I, I could be wrong on that. I'm not, sure. not 100% sure. But, um, but yeah, they're... they're um, they are they're in the same family as raccoons. So is the coati, which is another another one we could get into if we wanted to, but sometime for if you have more time. But uh, sure. but uh, yeah, I mean they're they're really um, really fascinating animals. And I'll, I'll tell you one last story about them. I have an uncle who lives out on a ranch, and and he he had a ringtail coming to his house every night, and he got this idea to go ringtail fishing, and so he uh he got a <laughs> fishing pole and he tied a chicken leg on the end of it and he threw it out in the yard and, he, and the fishing pole sat inside his house next to his bed through the, the line going through the window and he had his video camera set up there and in the middle of the night he hears you know the the whir of the string getting pulled uh in, through the reel you know the, the butt whir that it makes and yeah. he jumps out of bed and grabs his video camera and he starts to reel it in and he he was expecting that of course you know as soon as it jerked out the ringtail gets scared and run away but but not at all. You know, he yanks the chicken leg out of the ringtail's hands and the ringtail goes running back for it. And he had a full on, you know, fishing battle with this ringtail. I think he eventually let it have the chicken leg, but, um, but yeah, it was, it was pretty funny. And he apparently got caught most of it on video. I'm still waiting to see that video footage, but, um, That's cool. the, yeah. And they're not protected either. I mean, just like they, they are, they're a fur bearing animal, I believe. So they have, a, they have a little bit more, they have more protection than like a coyote, um, or a mountain lion, but they, um, but yeah, I mean, people are still allowed to hunt them, uh, as long as they have a hunting license and they, you know, follow the standard, uh, regulations related sure. to fur bearing animals. But yeah. Well, I guess the, just in closing here, one other thought I had on the, going back to the whole point of this conversation today and the, the, uh, Black Panther is, mm-hmm. I don't know how many million trail cameras are out there now. But if there was a right. freaking Black Panther, we'd have a picture of it. So, and, and and I will say too is people send me pictures of Black Panthers all the time, and I just run a, a reverse image search in Google, and they pop up. And people, uh, there's a it seems to be a cohort of people whose hobby is to 
try to fool the state wildlife agency um, <laughs> because because we'll just get these pictures all the time and it's like you know I look it up and it's a 2002 picture from a game reserve in Africa or something you know yeah. and and so we can we have tools to be able to validate you know and find other other images on the internet that have um, other cases of that same image being on the internet mm-hmm. and so. And for the record, um, the last jaguar in Texas was killed around. I want to say Brownsville back in the forties, maybe. So, so actually, the last one was killed, I think, in Goldthwait in in nineteen fifty or in like fifty two. Yeah, and um, and it was that was big news at the time, right? It was really unusual to have them here sure. at that time, but somehow one showed up showed up there, which is surprisingly late, honestly. Um, but uh, the big cats tend to be more resilient than than a lot of other big predators. I mean, we in Texas, bears were wiped out uh, yeah. for, for decades. There are no bears in Texas. Mountain lions, they, they dealt with the same level of persecution and, and, um, uh, and you know, effort to try to uh, eliminate them related to, to livestock production and stuff. And they did just fine. I mean, I, I can't say they did fine, but, but they, they retreated to the mountain regions, but they held on. Yeah. And uh, I, I would say that jaguars, uh, we're not as adaptable, uh, but, you know, they held on for a, quite a while as well. Sure, sure. Well, cool. Well, Jonah, I certainly appreciate it, man. Thanks for coming on and sharing Absolutely. some of your expertise and, and knowledge on, on uh, these topics today. It certainly has been a pleasure. Uh, absolutely, Cable, and I appreciate you uh, trying to trying to get the get the facts out for folks and, and dispel some of these common myths. And, and um, yeah. you know, hopefully one of these days uh, these myths will – will uh, fade away and we'll, people will be uh, a little bit more educated about what they're seeing out there. Yeah. All right. Well, i got to go look for Bigfoot. So got to run. All right. Good luck. All right, <laughs> All right buddy. Yeah. Take All right. care. Bye. All right. There he goes. Texas Parks and Wildlife State mammologist Jonah Evans. Uh, awesome stuff there. Dispelling myths. That's what we are doing today. That segment of the presentation, by the way, brought to you by the IOTA Crux. Talk about a backcountry-friendly, lightweight, carbon fiber rifle stock this thing weighs 27 ounces it's what i have on my seven mag i'll be taking it to africa uh next week i'll be taking it to montana to go bear hunting it's the iota crux and you can find it at iotaoutdoors.com up next (laughs) my wife of all people will be here in studio we just came out on the other side of a rough patch (laughs) and you might find it humorous when we tell you about the root of the problem that's next right here on the lone star outdoors show just as long as you call me your man, that's the only man I ever want to be. Hey, North Texas sports fans. This is Brian Spagnola, general manager of Texas Motor Cars in Addison. My family's been in the car business for over 50 years, and I want to show you the difference in buying from a family-owned and operated business. TexasMotorCars.com is an awesome website that lets you do virtually all of your shopping online. We have a professional photographer that takes amazing photos, and we give you all the information that you'll need up front. You can even find out how much we will give you for your trade-in before you ever come in. I take pride in the fact you can come in, choose a car, and be out in less than an hour. We have financing rates starting at 1.79% on pre-owned vehicles and can help almost anybody. Please do yourself a favor. If you're in the market for a pre-owned vehicle of any kind, give us a shot. Let me show you how easy buying a vehicle should be. Visit TexasMotorCars.com or come visit our 20,000-square-foot indoor showroom in Addison. Again, visit TexasMotorCars.com or call us at 1-888-9-TX-MOTORS. 
Hey guys, Cable here for Chama Chairs. The Chama Chair is the all-terrain swivel chair designed out of necessity because the owners were tired of poor performing hunting chairs. The Chama weighs less than 8 pounds, silently swivels 360 degrees, converts to a stool, has tear-resistant fabric, telescoping legs, and pivoting duck feet. The carrying bag even has accessory pockets and gun and bow straps. Chama Chairs is revolutionizing the hunting chair. It's literally making all other hunting chairs obsolete. And you can find them at chamachairs.com. For nearly a decade, the Lone Star Outdoor Show has delivered entertaining, educational, and conservation-driven content to an ever-growing audience of sportsmen and women. Join companies like Vortex Optics, First Light Hunting, and Horizon Firearms that use the Lone Star Outdoor Show to increase their brand awareness and bottom line. If you're interested in introducing your brand to our audience, then call Gil at 972-849-3392. That's me, Gil, the Lone Star Outdoor Show marketing guy at 972-849-3392. You can also email me at gil.lonestyleoutdoorshow at gmail.com. I'm Kevin Van Dam, and when I'm not hunting and fishing, there's no way that I'm listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Oh, damn. There went all the room, there ain't a square inch left in my fruit of the loom. So better give me some play before I freak on out. You love, make my sticker pick out. Yo, love, make my sticker pick <laughs> That is JB and the Moonshine Band, sticker pick out. My sweet wife is in here looking at me sideways regarding my uh, choice of songs there. But hey, I think it's highly appropriate uh, that we're still at it. Ten years uh, into this thing we called marriage. But anyway, I'm Cable Smith. This is the Lone Star Outdoor Show powered by Dallas Safari Club. Thank you guys for being here. Thanks to Lone Star Beer and Hoffpower Polaris as well. Uh, we're all set to actually visit with Mrs. Smith, who continues to make my world go round. And generally speaking, uh, we have a, a very healthy relationship. But and we just had one of the most trying stretches uh, of our marriage. And it stems from something totally related to hunting and fishing. And we'll get into that here momentarily, but first, I think this segment should be sponsored by a marriage counselor, but since we don't have one of those advertising with us, I guess Lone Star Ag Credit is the next best thing. They've been helping folks finance their own piece of Texas for over 100 years, whether you want it for recreating, running cattle, hunting, or just to get out of the big city, Lone Star Ag Credit has you covered, and you can find them at LoneStarAgCredit.com. All right. Oh, well, I've got my sweet lovely bride here who uh, for anyone that doesn't know Aaron is actually a nurse practitioner and about nine years ago when I started the show uh, we lived off of her salary because nobody knew if this would work or not and uh, and while it's still not a get rich quick scheme she has been supportive of me and uh, our kids and my goals and dreams uh, over the years I tried to do the same for her but uh, the last six weeks or so have been somewhat of a roller coaster. And I'll be honest, Aaron is less than thrilled about being on the radio on the show. But uh, always the team player. Here she is. I don't want to do this. Well, babe, thanks for joining the show today. You're welcome. Are you uncomfortable? Yes. <laughs> so I wanted to talk about this thing in our lives that kind of us apart here in recent memory because we've got these three kids now beautiful children and a dog we've simply run out of space at our current house would you say it's been a uh, a stressful undertaking buying and selling a house 
Um, probably the most stressful thing I've done yet. So you would say, would you say it's already difficult enough living with me? I mean, some days. <laughs> what is the most difficult thing about your husband being your, married to, to me? All your stuff. All my stuff? Like what kind of stuff are you talking about? All your dead animals. <laughs> oh, there it is. The dead animals. Well, so like, uh, what about the travel? That's not so bad. Um, it's hard at times. We'll go back to the dead animals. So I guess maybe like, I guess it was about when I got back from South Africa last year and I realized how much more stuff was coming and we're in this little studio currently at our house, which we'll be moving out of in a week, but I've had the same studio here for what, eight or nine years we've lived here now in our nearly 10 years of marital bliss. And we counted when we took them all off the walls to sell this place that there were 23 animals in this. How big is this room? Like nine by 10. So giant. Giant. <laughs> <laughs> so you weren't real upset when we started taking all the animals off and take them to uh, the storage unit. No, it was glorious. It was amazing how with every animal coming off the wall, this room got bigger and bigger. And a part of me died with each one mm, being taken. That's sad. I know. I know. But so we decided that we needed more room because we're in a currently in a three-bedroom house. I said I only wanted to have two kids all along, but we had the twins the second go-around. So God had other plans, and we're glad that he did. And I wanted three kids. Right, so you win. You usually win. Um, but so we started looking for a new house. And obviously the kids were the, the thing that was first and foremost hey. for you. <laughs> But what did I want? More rooms to put your dead animals. Okay, so when we started looking for a new house, what was it like? I guess a lot of houses now call them media rooms, right? Yes. But I wanted a trophy room. Yes. And so throughout this process, you know, we thought this was going to be a lot of fun. Hey, we're looking for a new house because when we bought this house, it's first time home buyers, newlyweds. Um, th- it was really a pretty seamless process. Yeah, we looked at 10 or 15 houses. We liked this one. We bought it. We moved in. <laughs> How many houses would you say we looked at this time? I mean... All over just for a damn trophy room. Together, we probably looked at about 50, and then you probably looked at another 20 with our realtor, and I probably looked at another 40 with our realtor. God bless your aunt for putting up with us. So we had set a budget and. For some reason, and we're not going to say what the budget was, but all these things that we wanted. You want you wanted a three-car garage, uh-huh. um, you know, the media. So that room. you could put all of your stuff in the garage instead of in our house. <laughs> so what kind of stuff would you say is in the garage? Uh, dead animals, um, duck decoys. Like how many? Hunting gear, all the things. How many duck decoys? Hundreds. <laughs> so they take up some space, you'd say? Yeah, and I'm not sure when you used any of them for the last time. Well, every season I use them. But not all of them. Maybe one or two here and there. Now you go duck hunting with fancy people and you don't even have to bring your own stuff. Well, they like Belle, so well, we're lucky to so get So you invited. bring Belle and some waders and a gun. <laughs> and maybe uh, whatever that thing's called. A duck call. Duck call. Yeah, she put her hand up to her mouth. And was like, <laughs> whatever that thing is called. Yeah. Um, okay. So we need more space. And then all of a sudden we're looking at houses that are way over budget and we're fighting and we're going to see these houses and I, and I'm like, why are we looking at this house? It doesn't have a media room. 
Why are we looking at this house? It doesn't have a three-car garage. Finally, your aunt was like, listen, you morons are not building a custom home. You don't get to have all of it plus the big backyard for the kids. And so I think I was driving home from a turkey hunt about a month ago. Was that what it was? Mm -hmm. And we have this discussion. We're like, okay, we got to get back on schedule and get our minds right. Get back to that budget that we said we where we wanted to be. Because we would have been going from, you know, living comfortably to having to count our pennies to afford the houses that we were looking at. And we didn't, we both agree, we don't want to do that. So we have this discussion and somewhere the lines get crossed. And you no, think no, that there's I said, no, there's you thought no, that I said we no longer needed a media. No, <laughs> no, that's not what happened. What happened was we decided we needed to get back to the budget we originally had set and knowing that we were going to be giving something up, whether that was the media room, the third car garage, the huge backyard, something was going to be given up potentially. Right. right. And so, but and I you agreed, you agreed that that was where we needed to be. Back on the budget, I don't know about giving up the media room, the trophy you, room. Which you was, agreed to all of it. And so... I got home that night and you started showing me houses that didn't have media rooms. And I think that's one of the worst fights we've ever gotten in. Probably so. And it ends up, you're in tears. I leave. I'm just said, okay, I'm going. I'm going for a while. And I'd say we have a pretty healthy marriage. It's It's been... It's mostly ups with a few downs. Uh, but I don't think we've ever been that sideways with each other the next day we bought a house <laughs> and guess what it doesn't have a media room no 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 it doesn't have a media room but anyway it was a little bit of a, an older house and it still had a, a formal living room which used to be pretty popular i don't think they're putting them in a lot of houses these days unless uh, maybe if you're really rich or something um, <laughs> <laughs> but but no media room but so we go look at this house and it has everything else that we feel like our family would, you know, where we would thrive. Our kids would be um, happy and there's good schools and no media room. But there is that formal uh, living area and we decide what we're just going to wall it off and make it like the man cave. Yes. So it was a compromise. But it needs a wall so I don't have to look at the dead animals <laughs> every time I walk in my front door. Babe, you know you love the dead no. animals. Would you say that the life-size bear mount is your favorite one? Mm, maybe. <laughs> Just because it's different than all the rest. Uh-huh. Well, and in Erin's defense, she, she is not a hunter, but she puts up with me uh, all the dead animals in her house, which mostly, when I say in the house, there's like a few throughout the house, maybe like three But or now four. in our new house, they are only going to be in your gentleman's quarters and in your office, and that is it that remains to be seen but i was gonna I, that's not even where i was going i was gonna say that you're not a hunter but you are willing to eat any wild game that i, I bring sure home. except so, for heart right except for venison heart and mountain lion yeah but you did eat a whole bowl of no not of a whole bowl lion, the kids ate most of it no, no 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 you ate it i watched you eat it and then i filmed you when i told you what it was yeah that was one of those low points <laughs> All right. Well, I love you. Thanks for coming on the show today. You're welcome. Maybe we'll do this again in 10 years. Yeah. All right. There she goes. The uh, one and only Aaron Elizabeth Smith. The one that uh, makes my world go around, puts up with me, traveling all over God's green earth, trying to hunt or fish for something. And uh, there wouldn't be a show without her support. So I still don't get how I was able to hoodwink her into marrying me uh, nearly 10 years ago now, but I'm certainly glad she said yes. <laughs> that segment, by the way, brought to you by Scent Blaster. 
It's a game changer. If you use any kind of scent-based attractant, whether that's for deer, hogs, predators, you name it, you need a scent blaster. It gets more scent out, no more dried out wicks, and you can find it at scentblaster.net. Well, unfortunately, just looking at the clock here, we've gone over. Got to go. Got to get out of here. Uh, thanks to all of our guests today, Jonah Evans, uh, Texas Parks and Wildlife, State Mammologist, um, also Greg Pavor of Pavor Outdoors, and Sweet Aaron as well. We'll do it again, same time, same place next week. Thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show possible. Thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of the Lone Star Outdoors show. Until then, I'm Cable Smith saying, y'all have a great week in the outdoors. He's got 17 coon dogs out in the pen. Ten, eleven point bucks hanging in his den. If he ain't a hunting, he's a watching the show. Teaches things about hunting that he 